Hi everyone, Ilana here towards the end of Yomat Ma'ut here in South Africa. And so on that, I'll wish you a Chagat Ma'ut Sameach, even though you may only hear this a little later. So after the tremendous chapter 16, uh, tremendous both in length as well as in the incredible metaphor that uh, it sustains for so many psukim, chapter 17 is a little less complex, not nearly as intense, um, which doesn't really mean that it's always good news, but it is about birds and trees, which is something I, of course, enjoy. And so I was very excited to be able to share some of this with you. The other thing that makes it easier is that this chapter or this particular parable, as opposed to many of the other parables in Yechezkel, um, has a nimshal, has an explanation, in fact, provided by God. So we don't even have to try and work it out for ourselves, whereas many of the others, one has to struggle to in order to do so. So let's just sum it up. We have a great eagle that plucks the topmost branch of the cedar of Lebanon and takes it away to a place of merchants. This eagle, as we find out later in the chapter, so this is a spoiler alert, but God does give the explanation, is the king of Babylon as the most powerful of birds. And the cedar of Lebanon is often a metaphor for Israel. And its topmost branch then is the king who is exiled. And that, of course, is King Jehoiachin, who, as we know, was exiled to Babylon in 597 BCE. Then the eagle takes a seed or a seedling, a youngster, to remain in a fertile place. So that's Nebuchadnezzar who takes the young king Tzidkiyahu to remain in Israel. And he is meant to be a lowly vine that draws its water and is attached to the eagle. In other words, a lowly vassal king to Babylon. But alas, there is another eagle, also beautiful, but not nearly as colorful or powerful. And this, of course, is Pharaoh of Egypt. And the vine turns its roots and branches towards this eagle, hoping it will water him and sustain him, just as Tzidkiyahu rebels against Babylon by sending envoys to Egypt asking for help. But as God explains, Egypt will not be able to protect Jerusalem against the Babylonians and in fact, because of Tzidkiyahu's betrayal of the pact that he made with Nebuchadnezzar, um, they'll spare no one in their punishment um, of Israel and Jerusalem. So before getting to some of the literary points, I can't resist discussing the word nesher, which is translated, of course, as eagle here. But most famously from Shmot, we have, we have the word nesher or nesharim throughout Tanakh, and we generally take it as meaning eagle. Most famously from Shmot, al kanfei nesharim, that we were taken out of Egypt on the wings of eagles. However, in fact, from the time of Rab Saadia Go'on, Ibn Ezra, all the way through to Rav Natan Slifkin, the zoo rabbi, the word nesher is coming across not as an eagle, but as a vulture. However, saying that we were taken out of Egypt on the wings of vultures for us uh, certainly comes across as somewhat uh, lacking in grandeur. Um, but that's because we've been informed by images of vultures from the Lion King, for example, or seeing vultures pecking at a kill or at carrion uh, in, in the bush. And so we don't see them as majestic birds. But if we look at the particular vulture in Israel, the griffin vulture, you might 
be persuaded otherwise, because this doesn't look like those vultures um, that we see in the Lion King, for example. This one is quite majestic and quite beautiful. It has multicolored feathers of black and beige and white. It's also capable of flying higher than most birds and is very powerful with a wingspan that's about eight feet. And it's the most magnificent bird of prey in Israel, quite frankly. So far from being a bird that is reviled, as we tend to do so today, in the times of Tanakh, if we understand this word to mean vulture, it was revered. And therefore would make sense to a reader of the Tanakh anyway, that this is a, uh, a wonderful bird. But today we struggle with that, but we shouldn't get too caught up in whether it is an eagle or a vulture, because in fact, when we look at some of the references in Tanakh, some can only be an eagle, while others could indicate a vulture. I think here it could go either way. The thing is, though, that zoology in the times of Tanakh was probably not as bothered as today about being taxonomically correct. So perhaps sometimes it meant an eagle, sometimes it meant a vulture, and so we can take it the way uh, we'd like to. But just taking into account that perhaps the griffin vulture is, is a possible um, aspect of this, because this would be the bird of prey that would be most often seen at the, in the times of the Tanakh. So that's just something fun um, for you to consider and perhaps make sure next time you visit Israel or if you're in Israel, the next time you visit Gamla is to go and see the griffin vultures. To go back to the literary side of the chapter, what's fascinating is the dualism of the metaphor and the explanation, meaning that there's two of everything. So there are two eagles, there are two trees or plants, there are two kings of Judah, there are two uh, water sources, there are two superpower kings. And as we saw, in fact, in verse 2, uh, it, it it begins the dualism right from there, where Yechezkel is told, Ben Adam chud chida umshol mashal el Beit Yisrael, O mortal, propound a riddle and relate an allegory to the house of Israel. So ultimately, we have this dualism that emerges from the very beginning about the fact that there's going to be two different layers all the way through, two opposites, an eagle and an eagle, but different kinds, uh, two different kinds of kings, etc., and two explanations or nimshalot. So you have the violation of the oath made to the king of Babylon as being the one level, that that is the reason for the punishment. But because the word for this oath or pact in this particular context is brit, it indicates that it is ultimately or even primarily the breaking of the brit that the people made with God, which overlays the brit between the two human kings. So constantly we've got this dualism, um, which is an unbelievably outstanding way to use metaphor and language. And the end of this chapter is a beautiful message of restoration, which is not dual, but instead bursts forward into an abundance of visual images. There's a cedar, which is not lowly, but is planted on a mountain. There are many twigs and branches that grow from it, and there are all manner of birds that take shelter. So going from two to the many, Everything is more. It is God who plucks the twig and not a mortal eagle. And in contrast to the eagle demanding that the plant remain lowly, when it is God who is acting, the plants can become the tallest and grandest of the trees, which is the cedar. And the last verse is 
a veritable shout of redemption, uh, which continues and ends that metaphor, rounds it off, where it says, Ve'edu kol atzea sadeh ki ani Adonai, hishpalti etz gavua, higbati etz shafel, hoshavti etz lach, vifrachti esh yavesh, etz yavesh, ani Adonai dibarti ve'asiti. Then will all the trees of the field know that it is I, the Lord, who have abased the lofty tree and exalted the lowly tree, who have dried up the green tree and made the withered tree bud. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will act. And we've often commented across the series on the serendipity of a particular chapter of 99 and what is going on at the time. And I think this one is no different. For me, this verse has its echo in the Hallel that we have said today for Yom Ma'ut, where we say, He brings up, God brings up the poor out of the dirt from the refuse heaps. He raises the destitute to seat him with the nobles. We say, he seats a barren woman in a home, a happy mother of children. There's this contrast and this rebalancing of strong and weak, of have and have not. And we, of course, say later on in Hallel about the Eben Masua Bonim Haitala Roshpina, the stone that was left behind or disgusted by the builders has become the main cornerstone. And to me, this verse is saying the same as our verse in Yechezkel chapter 17, that the lowly tree is exalted. The seemingly impossible has occurred when a vine becomes a cedar. And when such a miracle occurs, and when a people steps from the ashes of Holocaust to take its place in its ancient homeland, in a place that becomes fertile, and filled with the living waters, then we cannot but say, From the Lord this has come, it is wondrous in our eyes. And with that, I wish us all a Chag Atzma'ut Sameach.